Hello and welcome to the Cloud Assessments Podcast. This is Phil Zona with Linux Academy and CloudAssessments.com. I'm joined today by Terry Cox, one of our course authors and resident Linux experts. Hi everybody, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Pretty good. It's a little rainy here in Texas today. Hope it's a little bit nicer in Kansas City today. Mm, unfortunately not. It's uh, rainy and, and chilly here as well. Ah, man. Well, today we wanted to talk about a question that comes up every once in a while on LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh, in our community. It's about Linux and AWS. And the question is, should you learn Linux before learning AWS? So uh, Terry, as someone who's taught a number of Linux-related courses, uh, what's your take on this? Well, fortunately, I've done both the Linux courses and a number of the AWS courses, so I've kind of got my my toe in both waters, although certainly not um, to the extent that our our dedicated AWS team does. Um, But I'm afraid I'd have to give you the age-old answer of it really depends, meaning that you can probably have a very successful career as an AWS architect, engineer, administrator, developer, without necessarily having to have a lot of experience with Linux. If you don't ever leave the console, if you're not responsible for logging in and managing users from an instance perspective. However, I think that being at least familiar, if not proficient with Linux and the Linux command line can certainly facilitate a more effective management of your environment because there's so many components that are either open source based or are intended to be consumed from within either an instance or a desktop running open source software. So for example, if you want to be able to provision using any orchestration tool, say Salt or even Jenkins or Ansible, which work very well in provisioning components for AWS infrastructure, it's really designed to work with the SDK uh, or the AWS command line interface so that you can run those orchestrations and manage the accounts and IAM policies that are associated with access to that AWS account infrastructure. And it's really designed to be used with Python and Boto on the command line, which is running on Linux. Now you can do that in Windows, but again, it's command line in Windows and command line in OS X. So overall, Linux is really where um, it is, its heart is at, at at the moment. So it certainly will help um, you get a lot more done and in a more flexible manner. Although it's not strictly a requirement, I certainly would recommend it. Yeah, and that's, that's similar to the answer that I usually give people when I get this question. I have a background in Linux, probably not as extensive as yours, but uh, that's where I started was with Linux and then moved into AWS after that. And I've noticed a lot of uh, sort of parallels, like uh, load balancing, for instance. You know, you on AWS, you it's basically a one-button setup. You you click it and it's there. On Linux, you have to set the uh, the load balancing algorithm, and you have a little bit more control over it. So. It's kind of it's kind of a trade-off situation, you know. AWS makes things very easy, but you give up a little bit of that control. Um, I mean, you still have a great deal of control now, but um, you know, what are what are some of the trade-offs? Do you think? 
Well, I, I, I certainly think that the depth at which you have control over the detailed implementation, um, you surrender when you're using uh, simply the console, something that you, you have uh, a little bit more visibility to uh, when you're using um, Linux in general. And I also think that um, if, if you're proficient in Linux, it also gives you a unique perspective on what's happening behind the scenes in, in basically any cloud vendor, because whether they're using a, a strict hypervisor type uh, implementation for virtualization, or uh, in all likelihood, they're using that in combination with a number of other tools. They're almost always based at some in some level or some portion on the open source um, tool sets, libraries, and operating systems that you'll find um, that you can run directly on Linux as well. Kind of, kind of to your point, I think knowing a little bit of that will will help you once you move onto a cloud vendor, but it's not it's not necessary. Like, so if someone wants to get into Linux, um, just to give themselves uh, that solid background for uh, moving on to AWS and and getting in depth on their EC2 instances, for mm-hmm. example, um, mm-hmm. what are what are some of the Linux concepts that that you would say are uh, absolutely fundamental? You know, where should you start? Probably uh, user user management, file management permissions and package management. I think if I could pick um, three or four things that you should get started with uh, so that you can use Linux effectively is you need to understand how users work uh, in, in the Linux user space, how permissions apply to users and how they access files and directories as a result. And then of course, in order to do anything in Linux, you're going to have to install software. So you're gonna need to be familiar with the package manager or the package management system that is implemented in uh, that particular Linux distribution. And unfortunately, most Linux distributions have their own method of dealing with packages. The two most predominant, of course, being the CentOS Red Hot, Red Hat, uh, Yum, and RPM-based package management system, and the Ubuntu Debian uh, dpackage or apt aptitude-based uh, package management system. So, those four items are probably if you're if you're looking at just knowing enough. It's how do I how do I log in? How do I manage my files and directories? How do I install software? If you can get that, that's a, a, a good head start into being proficient enough to start understanding how to use Linux in conjunction with whether it's AWS or, or whomever. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think those are reasonable places to start. So here's I'll, I'll tell a little bit of a personal story about when I was first learning Linux. And um, and this ties in with, you know, the power of cloud computing, which uh, we've we've talked about quite a bit. So what what I did originally was I would spin up uh, virtual servers, um, not on AWS but on another provider, and I would just go in and you know follow along with a couple of different tutorials and just do things until it broke basically. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of the power of of the cloud, right? It's you can do that, and if it breaks, you don't have to replace your hardware. You don't have to, you know, order anything. You don't have to spend three weeks troubleshooting your server and and uh, getting it back up. You can just click a button, destroy it, and click another button and spin up a new one. So, what kinds of what kinds of tips do you have, or you know, if you're willing to share, what what are some of the things that you did when you were first learning Linux? Well, I've been using uh, Linux since the early to mid 90s. So really when um, kernel version 1.0 was still 
very early in its its release cycle. So one of the things that, that I used to do to learn Linux was um, I used to change I used to figure out how to change the, the, the font type in my terminal because this was before X windows was a default. Um, but really how to compile software, which gave me a really good idea of the file system, how libraries work, what external dependencies that your applications have. It gives you a view into how things work that you don't typically get in a windows or an OS X based system because you have to understand where things are pointed and what they're talking to at a, at a, at a deeper level to really be proficient in not necessarily the use, but from an advanced use case perspective, understanding that library versions matter and interfaces matter. Um, and you don't really get that in, in, in more traditional, um, ubiquitous desktops like, uh, windows. So I learned those kinds of things. Um, I also am, am a very visual learner, so I, I, I took every opportunity that I could once I could get a de graphical desktop running into uh, writing small pieces of software that would uh, automate and display um, visual representations of their status. You know, whether it was a traffic light, red, red, yellow, green, that told me that a backup was done or that a service was running. Again, all earlier on, most of these things have been done as uh, either services or are available for you to download. There's very little original content that you can do that hasn't somebody else hasn't already done in GitHub uh, at this point in time. But they're all useful exercises in understanding how all of this stuff works, what the different kinds of desktop environments are, uh, those libraries, the visual components of it. Um, and then as I proceeded in my career as an IT professional, I, I started exploring how Linux works outside of my desktop, meaning from a server perspective, what, what does it do um, outside of allowing me to get my personal work done as a router? How can I configure Linux system to take the place of a hardware based router, you know, throw in multiple network cards and, and create the routing tables that go across multiple networks. It also serves as a, as a centralized logging repository. How can I aggregate multiple logs from multiple systems and then glean information on the behavior of my environment and the users that are using my websites, for example. So really it, it, it's all, but it all starts with that, that Linux command line, getting that basic familiarity with those tools and utilities and how permissions work and how packages work really started me down the path to just the curiosity, um, of, of learning, starting at my desktop throughout the, the enterprise. Yeah. And you, you touched upon, uh, a few different points that I've hit you know, while learning Linux, and and I want to be clear, I am very much still learning it. I'm I'm no expert, but um, this was something that we talked about on the last episode was um, dependency management. Um, we discussed it in relation to uh, IAM on AWS, and um, it can be frustrating. It's um, it's not nearly as frustrating in IAM as it is with uh, say, you know, when you're compiling a Linux package because you know, you might be dealing with thousands of dependencies versus, uh, you know, a couple hundred at most on AWS. So like, what are, what are some of the biggest challenges that you would say, um, when you're, when you're first getting started or that, that you've personally seen, what are, what are some of the 
harder parts to get your head around. From a cloud perspective or from a Linux perspective? From a Linux perspective. Um, the hardest things to get your, your head around are special permissions. Um, how do you allow um, use non-privileged users to run applications that may need to access privileged areas of the system? Um, from a Windows uh, perspective, that's usually when you're trying to install software or um, work with printers or file shares perhaps, and that uh, user access window pops up and says, hey, give me your username and password uh, of an administrative user so that I can do this. That's the effectively what we're talking about in Linux. Although in Linux it's handled a little bit differently, you create special permissions on certain files um, that allow them to execute with permissions that the, the underlying user does not actually have, but that it allows the application to run with those permissions. I think some people were also confused on what sudo writes are versus what's the difference between root and sudo and why don't we just run administrative applications as the root user versus a normal user with elevated privileges. I think that's uh, one of the initial confusing items. Uh, for a lot of new Linux users. Um, of course, it being the reason being that we're, we're interested in both an audit trail and making sure that you're not accidentally running uh, commands subsequent to the, the single command you meant to run with elevated privileges, the old rm minus rf in the wrong directory. If, if you don't have privileges for running it in that directory, you can't accidentally wipe your system out. If you're logged in as root, you can do that anywhere you want. So it, it, it kind of protects you from yourself. Um, so I think that's one of the, the, the primary things that people are confused on. Um, network configuration probably being a little bit um, less confusing, although it, because it doesn't happen the way that it does in, in Windows, particularly on the wireless side, that can be confusing. Um, and then the need for virus software. Um, strictly speaking, um, most Linux distributions uh, don't have virus software installed on them. It's available, um, but they're is a very small fraction of viruses compared to Windows or and even Mac variants for viruses that uh, really preclude the need in most circumstances for having active virus software uh, on the Linux system, unless, of course, it's sharing file systems with, uh, with other non-Linux systems. In which case, it makes a really good place for you to actively scan those file shares since the viruses that may be present on those files don't affect a Linux file system. So probably those to start with. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm kind of noticing a common theme here. It's uh, it's security. Mm -hmm. Is that is that fair? Yeah, fair. Linux Linux is not inherently any more secure than any other operating system. It does require that you have an understanding uh, of, of what things you should and shouldn't do. I can make my, my Linux desktop as insecure as any unpatched Windows or OS X system that's on the internet. But I do really have to do some, I, I have to make some poor decisions in order to do that. And the patching from a, the patching is usually restricted to kernels and libraries that are easily and quickly patched. There's no waiting for Patch Tuesday in most cases when a vulnerability has been identified. Um, it's usually hitting the repositories within 24 hours or it's sometimes less of, of getting those patches installed. So it can be much more secure. It's not inherently much more secure, but it definitely has 
security as a primary component for uh, its use case? Like anything, uh, whether it's you know a cloud platform or or Linux on the desktop or the server, it really comes down to it's as effective as the user's skill level yes. in using it. And I'm sure there's a much more eloquent way to say that, but uh, but that's that's really what it comes down to, I think, right? It, Linux is as efficient as you are proficient at its use. Yeah. See, that's that's the nice the nice succinct version that I was going for. And this ties back a little bit to something that we talked about in the last episode of the podcast. We have um, an AWS security quest coming up on cloudassessments.com next month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm not the only one who's been working hard on some new content. So your team, uh, the Linux Academy content team, has been doing some amazing stuff. What can you share about that? This will be released probably in April. So... um, do you want to leave us in suspense? Can you tell us anything about that? Well, I can tell you that uh, we're in the neighborhood. We'll be releasing along with a 15 or 16 courses that my team has been working on. We'll be releasing somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 or 60 learning activities, which are the live environments, the hands-on uh, demonstrations, and uh, graded um activities that uh, will be available on cloud assessments for from anything from uh, the Linux certifications that we support to uh, we'll be we'll be having some core OS stuff uh, so yeah we've we run the gamut in terms of certification coverage as well as um, system coverage and uh, web servers and all all those types of things and we'll have multiple, Learning activities for each one of those will be will do will be doing uh, in April. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen a little bit, and I won't uh, I won't go into the specifics. I'll I'll leave the listeners in suspense um, a little bit, but it it all looks like some cool stuff, and it kind of ties back to what we're talking about today. Is just you know making sure that you know how to use a Linux system, and in turn that helps you get the most out of it. So it, it does. And we, we, we've, we've really tried to design this in such a way that it, that it helps your life cycle, the development of your life cycle as, as a Linux user, whether it's a system administrator or system engineer or a DevOps engineer, you, you can get everything that you need from the, the, the absolute essentials from a Linux distribution and command line perspective, all the way into deep dives on, you know, what what is system D and, and how do I work with it and create custom services and and what about this web server? So we go into in, into deep dives into specific components and we do we give you the the essential information so that you're able to do those deep dives later. We really do cover uh, a swath of information from a certainly from a Linux and DevOps perspective as well as AWS and, and others. Yeah, and I think I think the uh, new learning activities are really going to help with that as well. Just putting that into practice, getting you know, getting your hands dirty in the Linux system, and and just making sure that you know how things work, basically. Yes, from start to finish, that's the goal. Any anything else that that uh, you wanted to shout out that your team's been working on, or no? I know there was a lot. I don't know if I covered everything. I, I will say that one of the things that uh, I want to encourage everybody to do is periodically when we're reviewing the kinds of content that we are going to create, not only do we have a board that I'm sure we can link to that allows our community to vote on the kinds of topics and uh, th- that they'd like to see us cover, but typically in our community, as we begin working on a course, we will post that we're, we're working on a course that we want to complete in the next 90 days. 
what do you guys want to see on it? So one of the things that we like to do is, is for a couple of weeks, let that bake in the community and have you guys effectively help us write our syllabus. We, we have a good idea of what we want to cover. And we try to look at things both from a, a, an enterprise perspective as well as a, a student perspective. Um, but there are going to be all kinds of perspectives that uh, students will have, situations that they're, they've run up against that probably haven't occurred to us. So um, please see some of those posts and, and post the things that you've run into. Share your experience. And if we can include those use cases, those discussions, we try to as much as possible. Yeah, that's a, and that's a really important uh, point, and I'm glad that you brought that up. I, I specifically remember seeing a couple on our suggestion and voting board that uh, that will be released this quarter. But yes, I don't want to say too much. Probably said too much already. So, I think we're ready to wrap things up. Terry, thank you so much for joining us, and to the listeners, be sure to tune in next time for the Cloud Assessments Podcast. Bye, everybody.